We've been talking, well, let's read the scripture. That's our key scripture here. James 5.16, confess your trespasses or faults to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And what we're talking about is prayer that prevails. And it's really simply this, prayer that gets results. Prayers that avail, that's just an old English word for accomplishes much. The measure of success in your prayer is not how holy it sounds, not how loud it is, how beautiful it sounds. The, 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 the measure of whether we prevail in prayer is the results that we get. Now understand there are different types of prayer. There's a prayer where you come and just you spend time in fellowship with God. You may sit in His presence. You may talk to Him and just about whatever's on your heart. And you may, if you're open and sensitive enough, you may sense Him talking back to you. That's just communing with God. That's not prayer that's intended to get results. It may. It may allow God to deal with you about some things. But that's not the type of prayer that we're talking about. Another type of prayer is a prayer of commitment where you just pour your heart out before God and you just, you know, you just, com- you just commit your, your life at a different level to Him. And sometimes we need to do that periodically uh, and just recommit your life to Him, your heart to Him, and ask Him to come in and help deepen your commitment. Then, then there's prayers where we're just seeking wisdom. We're asking for wisdom and seeking God's direction and counsel. And those are all valid types of prayer. And what the title for tonight's message is The Rules, because there are different rules for prayer depending on the type of prayer that you're praying. And that's what we're going to begin to talk about. But I want to kind of sneak up on it tonight. Because, um, it's, but the first thing is we talked about last week about what it means to be effectual fervent. And we talked about it sounds when you read it, because that's the type of prayer that avails much, is effective, fervent, effectual, fervent prayer. And if you don't dig in a little deep, deeper, what it sounds like is effectual prayer, a fervent prayer, is loud and hot and it's just all worked up. So, that, you know, it's, you know you just, if you get loud and you get all worked up and you spit everywhere and you work up a sweat or all that, then you know, boy, that was fervent prayer. But we found out when we did a little research last week, that's not what those words mean. I gave you some definitions. It's the Greek word energio, from which we get energy, and it really has a sense of a prayer that is doing what it was made to do. Prayer that's at work doing what it was made to do, or what I liked even better, the sense from one of the, one of the concordances I read, was it's, the word means to perform as expected when operating. So the idea is that when we're praying, the way we're going to learn to pray, it ought to be doing something, whether you realize it or not. And that's why a lot of prayer doesn't prevail, I believe, is because it's working, we just stop it too early. It's like having, you know, they have these slow cookers, uh, um, uh, what do they call them? Um, Crock-pot, thank you. Crock-pots, and you know, you plug it in the night before. My wife used to make oatmeal in it. It was so good. She'd mix the oatmeal up. I'm going to get somebody hungry. And she'd put all the, the fixings in it the night before, set it on low, and plug it in and go to bed. And you wake up in the morning, and mm, it's just so creamy, and it's just, it's just so good. But in order for that to work, you've got to keep it plugged in all night. And if I got up at 1 in the morning and looked inside it, it wouldn't look like anything's happening. And if I opened it up and looked inside, it says nothing's happening. I'm just wasting electricity here and unplugged it. When we, she got up in the morning, it would still be water and those flakes. The point is, some things take slow cooking. And that requires time with the crock pot 
Is that what it is? Plugged in. And, and prevailing prayer is prayer that's working while it's plugged in, but many of us, because we keep checking to see whether it's done or not, we, we get discouraged and so we unplug it and then it never produces the results so we figure, I guess this slow cooker doesn't work or this, this oatmeal recipe doesn't produce anything and so we just discourage and we open the box and pull out the quick oatmeal and you know mix it in a minute and it never tastes as good. So we're learning that prevailing prayer is prayer that gets results, prevails with God. We've also seen that this is God's idea. This is not our idea. It's not like we've found out the one thing that works with God and now we've got to talk Him in to answering our prayer. We've discovered it works the other way around. Prayer's God's idea. The Bible from one end of the book to the other end of the book says, come and ask me and I'll do it. And God's got to get our attention, convince us that He really means what He says so that we'll come and actually believe Him. What we're going to begin to look at tonight, and we'll probably get, on, get off on a little tangent here, is that there are certain rules by which prayer operates. And the problem is when we hear, when we hear the term rules, certain things automatically fix in our mind, and I want to kind of dispel that. So let's go to Matthew chapter 6. A better term to use instead of rules is principles. Because the problem is if we talk about rules... Rules imply that I've got to do what's right in order for, to get God to do what I want Him to do. I've got to jump through the right hoops. I've got to do just the right thing. And if I say just the right words and I do just the right thing, and I, st- you know, am I supposed to stand or sit or, you know, how am I supposed to pray? And all of those we think of as rules so that when we get into the Bible and find out what God does, what the rules are, then we bring that same mentality as, oh, I got to do it the right way. I got to say the right words. I got, and I was raised in a church that had a prayer book. And what you did is you read in the certain order of service, you read the prayers. Of course, people's minds were all over the place. You just did it because you were supposed to read that prayer at that particular time. And we bring that mentality into a relationship with God and we think, I'm supposed to pray this prayer. How's the right way to pray? What's the right way to do it? And here's the key. We're going to look at that tonight. The focus when we do that is all on me. Am I doing the right thing? Am I saying the right things? In reality then, my faith is being developed in me. And Jesus never said, I have faith in you. He says, have faith in God. And that's a very subtle trick of the enemy. So Matthew chapter 6 is what we're going to look at. So a better term is principle, because rules sound legalistic. And so when I go through what these principles are, if we don't have this understanding or this base, what's going to happen is we're going to think these are conditions that God requires before He's going to answer the prayers. So that God sits in heaven with His checklist... And he says, all right, Denny, you got the first two, but there's six more and you didn't get them yet. So I'm not going to, I don't have to answer it. I don't have to answer it or I can't answer it until you get the other three right. And when you figure out what those other three, six are, excuse me, and get those right, then I'm going to have to give you what you're asking for. And that's subtly the image that we have. I've got to do just the right thing to get God to answer. And what we're going to discover is that the, what we're going to learn from the Bible is the Bible teaches certain principles of prevailing prayer. And there's a difference between a principle and a rule. A rule is something you have to obey in order to get what you're looking for. A principle is a truth that operates whether you want to operate it or not. 
I'll give you an example. Gravity is a, is a, a principle is a truth. Gravity is a truth. You don't have to understand it for it to work. It works whether you understand it or not. It is a, it is a, it is a law of, of nature. It is, a, it is a principle that works. And it will either work for you or against you. So if you decide that that chair right now, you're sitting in that chair because of gravity, because of the principle, the, the, whether it's physics or whatever it comes from, of gravity. You're not earning the right to sit in the chair. It's just working. In the same token, if you decided to get up on your roof and fly on your own, woo, like this. Unless some, God does some miracle because of your stupidity, you know what's going to happen. Gravity's going to begin to operate and you're going to fall flat on your face two stories or three stories down. That's going to be because you, 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 you operated in the wrong way the principle of gravity. It's not that you fell as a punishment for violating gravity. I want you to understand the difference. If you step off of your roof and you fall and break your leg or something, that's not a punishment for violating the rule of gravity. It's simply that gravity operated and you operated the wrong way with it. But it's a rule, it's a truth. A principle is a truth that operates all the time and you either cooperate with it or it works again, it works for you or you work against it and it works against you. But it's not something you either earn or you're punished for. Understand the difference? Well, these principles we're going to learn are the same way. So when you've, if you don't quote-unquote pray the right way, it's not that God has looked at you and said, well, you didn't do it right, therefore I'm not going to give it to you. That would be like a punishment for breaking the rule or a reward you get for doing it right. These are principles by, which are necessary because prayer really is getting something that already exists in the spirit realm to manifest in this natural material realm. Because there's nothing that exists here in this realm that did not first exist in that realm. So all prayer really is, is bringing it from that realm into this realm. And in order to transfer from one realm to the other, because of the nature of the differences of the two realms, there are certain principles that affect that transfer. And we're going to learn what some of those are so that we can cooperate with them. Do you see the difference? So it's not like, you know, if you don't do it right, God's mad or He's holding it back and you've got to do it just right because if you have that image, very subtly what that does is it puts all the attention on me. And in, in Mark eleven twenty two, Jesus' first statement, we're going to look at that, not tonight probably, His first statement to teach His disciples about prevailing prayer, His first statement was, have faith in God. He never tells them, have faith in how you pray. In fact, turn, did I tell you Matthew 6? We're going to look at that now. Matthew 6, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount, but it's a practical instructions to His disciples. And you've heard me say this before. Matthew 4 ends with a great crowd of people and miracles and Jesus proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. 
and healing everyone that came to him. In fact, they, the news spread up into Syria, so even non-Jews, Gentiles were coming down, and they were getting healed. And there's this crowd, and so beginning of Matthew 5, Jesus said, let's come up on the mountain. So they withdrew up onto the mountain, and his disciples followed him up there, and then he began to talk. So this is him teaching his disciples. This is not a mass communication. He's teaching his disciples the principles, the principles, the principles of the kingdom of God. This is the principles on which God's kingdom operates. Starts about with the Beatitudes, which is the the attitude of God, with the attitude of the kingdom. What's blessed in the kingdom. Not what's blessed in the world, what's blessed in God's eyes. And now in chapter 6, he begins to talk about a comparison of attitudes, of motives. First of all, he talks about uh, giving. Chapter 6, verses 1, down through uh, verse 4. Now chapter 5, he's going to change and talk instead about giving, he's going to talk about and when you pray. So now he's going to talk about principle of the kingdom, principles of the kingdom when we pray. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corner of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they already have their reward. So the first thing he's talking about is the motive for which we're praying. And he's using the, 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 he's using the religious leaders as an example of the wrong motive because the disciples recognize that. Their motive was so obvious that he was using them not as a standard, but as an obvious example to them so that they wouldn't have the same attitudes within themselves. And we've got to be careful. So the first thing he talks about is the right motive for why we're praying. And one of the wrong motives he talks about here is to be seen by other people. So other people think we're so spiritual. And that can be very subtle because we like people to think well of us. And when you're a Christian and in church, our standard of what causes people to think well of us is different than it is out in the world. So in the Christian circles, what makes people think well of us is how spiritual we are. And one of the signs of being spiritual is how we pray and how often we pray and the manner in which we pray. So it's very tempting to, to be and in very subtle ways of doing this. But the point Jesus is talking about here is the first principle he's addressing here is the motive for which we pray. Why are we praying? And he's using a wrong motive here that we're, using, we're praying so that we we've get the other people, other people's attention. Other people think, oh, wow, what a spiritual person you are. And, you know, it may not be that they see how you pray. They may hear you talk about how you pray. Or how often you pray. For instance, someone comes to you and says, you know, guess what? This just happened in my life. And you blurt out, yeah, and I was praying for that for you. You need to ask yourself, what was your motive for saying that? Do you want them to know how spiritual you are? Do you want them to get credit? Because, you know, I found myself doing that at times. I have to check. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. Because... He's saying here, if you do it with the right motive, the reward comes from him. But he says, if you do it with the motive of getting people to be impressed with how spiritual you are or how loving you are or anything about you, 
Whatever you get out of them, that's your reward. That's all you're going to get. So the motive is the first thing he talks about here as the principle for getting prayers answered is if our motive's wrong, then it's not going to get heard. Because what we're looking for... Oh, this is good. Oh, this is good. One of the crucial parts of answered prayer is it comes out of your heart. It's what is your heart really looking for? We're going to get into later on in Matthew 7. He says, ask and you'll receive. I taught on this a number of years ago, and one of the things I talked about is, how many of you ever asked for something and didn't get it? Well, almost everybody, everybody was honest, raised their hands. <laughs> I'm not asking for a show of hands now. And, well, wait a minute. He said, ask and you'll receive. And we asked and we didn't receive. Either this is wrong or I'm wrong. One of the things we discovered is that there are times we think we've asked for something and we've really looked for something else. The Bible talks about how deceitful our heart can be. How, and that's talking about motives. This was not what I was planning to get into tonight. It talks about motives. Sometimes, and I've, I learned this a long time ago, people will come for counseling to the pastor one of, the, one of the pastors. And what, they're, what they'll come and they'll say, look, I'm in this difficult situation. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm struggling at work and this, you know, whatever it is. And, and you, know, you, know, you know, I'm asking for counsel. Please help me. <clears throat> one of the things I've learned we've got to find out is, first of all, what do they really want? Because sometimes people are in a jam and what they're looking for is relief not deliverance. Sometimes deliverance requires me to change some things I don't want to change. Because sometimes I'm in the situation I'm in because of what I've done. So you've got somebody that's in a deep financial situation, and if it's you tonight, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. And the real problem is I haven't managed my money well. The real problem is I've bought things I didn't need to buy, so I've got credit card debt way, I've got way up here, and it's not because I had to, it's because I just had to have that 64-inch flat-screen TV because my 48-inch one didn't satisfy anymore because my neighbor has a 64-inch. So I had to get the very best, and the, I had to have it. So now I've got this $6,000 bill on my credit card, and it's choking me. And the reality is the real problem isn't that I've got, the real, pro, real problem isn't that I'm in financial trouble. The problem is why I got in financial trouble. And see, when we get into difficulties, God wants to get to the root of the problem. And sometimes in order to get us to the root of the problem, He's got to let us stay in it for a while so that we know we don't ever want to get there again. I've been there. I've been in debt over my head, and I don't ever want to get there again. 
It left me with feelings I don't ever want to have to go through. I don't ever want that phone ringing, and I don't want to know who's on the other end of that. I don't ever. God delivered us out of it, brought us out of debt. It was wonderful. It was great, but it didn't happen overnight. I don't ever want to go there again. And part of it is because it took facing some things in me in order to get out. But if we come looking for God just to get us out of the pressure, then my motive is I want to get out of the pressure. I don't want to learn what it is I got to learn so that I don't ever have to go through this again. So I can be asking God for one thing, but in reality, I'm really looking for something else. Sometimes people are looking for healing and they're asking for healing but there are certain benefits that go along with the condition they have and they really don't want to let go of the benefits. Like I'm on disability and have to go to work. And if I get healed, I'm going to be off disability. I'm going to have to get up in the morning and go to work. But I don't like the sickness, so I'm asking God to heal me, but somewhere inside I don't really want to get over this because then i got to go back to work. I'm not thinking of anybody, so don't get, you know, I wasn't planning to go in this direction at all. What I want you to see is motives can be tricky. Motives can be tricky. So I've learned to not just say, oh yeah, that's what I want, because I've learned to ask the Lord, show me. Open my eyes to see. And if you're at all open, you'll find He'll shine lights in places you may not want Him shining there. Oh, Lord, I love you. I just want to do your will. I just want to do your will. Not that one. I just want to do what I want to do. (laughs) Oh, Sunday, didn't we talk about truth? Oh, we're going to really talk about... No, not this Sunday. You get a reprieve this Sunday. It's next Sunday. But didn't Jesus say, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The truth is what sets us free. The truth is what sets us free. The truth about our motives. So the first thing Jesus talks about here, the principle, is why am I asking for this? Why? Is it, is it, is it because I want something about me to be known? Or is my motive for God's sake? I'm reading one of Charles Finney's books on prayer. And he says, the reason why some parents don't get their prayers answered for their children to be saved is their motive's wrong. It's not wrong, it's just not far enough. He says because their real motive is selfish. They want their children saved because they're afraid of their children going to hell. So it never occurs to them what their unsaved children are doing to God. What an offense it is to Him because they're rebelling against Him. We never think about how things affect God and praying for something because how it might affect Him. And so he was saying this to challenge us to adjust our motives for how some situations affecting God. So my point is this. Jesus' point is this. What's our motive? Is it for something that so we feel good about ourselves or we want other people to know how spiritual we are or how easily our prayers are answered? Then that's the reward we're going to get. But if we want answers from God, it has to be, notice what he says here, verse 6. 
But when you pray, go into your room. And when you've shut your door to your father who is in secret place, your father who is in secret will reward you openly. Now that doesn't mean that we can't gather here on Tuesday night and have corporate prayer. What he's talking about is our prayer is a private thing between God and us, but we can do that together. Understand what the difference? But it's not other people seeing what I'm doing, it's my own connection with God. That's where prayer, prevailing prayer comes from. Okay. The next thing, and this is really what I wanted to get into tonight. But when you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut your door, pray to your fathers in secret. That's just a practical thing here. Just a practical thing. You need to establish for yourself, it, it's helpful, let's put it this way, a place where you, you commonly go to pray. Because it makes it, because we're, 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 we're not only a spirit being, and we have a soul, but they live in a body. And our body, you gotta, when, when you go to pray, you take your body with you. And, and what's going on around you affects your ability to concentrate. It affects your ability to focus inside when you're praying because that's where your spirit man is so that you can hear and you can pray out of your spirit. When, when we're worshiping here, most of the time my eyes are closed because I don't want to be distracted by you. Are your hands up? What are you doing? Because I'm human. You know, you look around, what's everybody else doing? So the best way for me to not know what everybody else is doing is to shut my eyes so I can be sensitive in here. And so when I pray, I want to pray in a way so that I'm not distracted by things. So one of the things that helps me is to have an established place to pray. In my house, it's our furnace room. It has a practical reason because in the winter it's warm. It's the first place that's warm in our house when I get up. And I've just established there's a place I can kneel, there's a place I can walk around, and it just, and it, because now I'm used to going there. So when I walk in there, I'm already attuned to communing with Him. And it doesn't matter what's there, I'm just, because that's, the, that's, that's my prayer closet. But I pray in here, I love to pray in here. I love to pray in here. It's just the peace in here. And, and, and so my point is, find a place where you can pull aside. Now, that's not the only place I can pray. I pray in the car. I pray walking around. But there's a place I specifically go to. And so just encourage you to do that. Okay. And when you pray, this is what we want to get to, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do or the Gentiles do, some translation. That's referring to people that have no covenant relationship with God. And because they have no covenant relationship with God... Listen carefully. They have no certain basis on which to expect God to hear and answer their prayers. He may, in fact, He, he does, because that's how you and I got saved. He heard the prayers of a heathen. <laughs> he heard your prayer when you prayed to receive Christ. When you started praying, you were a heathen. When you finished praying, praying you had a covenant with God. So when you started, He heard you or else you wouldn't have gotten saved. But he doesn't, we have no, uh, an unbeliever has no covenant contract basis for expecting God to answer their prayers, but when you're a Christian, you do. So when he talks about the heathen or Gentiles, he's referring to people that have no covenant foundation for their relationship with God. So they're crying out just on his mercy. But we don't cry out based on His mercy, although sometimes we have to. But we have a right to cry out based on His covenant promises. 
that he has given us because he expects us to come to him requiring him to fulfill the commitment that he made. But an unbeliever doesn't have that covenant relationship. So they have to cry out for God's mercy in their life. And fortunately, very fortunately, obviously God is merciful. But here's what he's talking about. And when you pray, don't use vain repetitious, repetitions, two different words. Vain, which means vanity or empty or of no effect. And repetitious prayers. He's not saying that you shouldn't pray repetitiously, which is to repeat something over and over again. What he's talking about is doing that in a vain way or an empty way. Now let's go on because the key is in what he's going to say here. For they think, this is what their thinking is, people that have no covenant with God, unfortunately it's also what some people that have a covenant with God think too. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. What he's talking about here is the basis of their confidence of why God's going to hear them. So he's saying the Gentiles, when they come to God, when they come and they're offering their prayers to Him, their confidence is in how they're praying. Their confidence in their case is in how many words they say it, how many times they say it. If I just say it enough then God's going to hear it. It doesn't matter that it's vain. It doesn't matter that it doesn't mean anything to me. I just say it over and over and over and over and over again. And if I say it over again enough, somehow it's going to get through and God's going to hear it. Notice the subtlety here. Because the trust has nothing to do with God. The trust is in me and how I'm doing it. So when that doesn't work, I go try something else that might work. Maybe you got to do it on my knees. Maybe I need to do it with my hands in the air. Maybe I need to do it for a half an hour, not 20 minutes. Maybe I need to do it every other day. Maybe I need to do it every day. And I, people come to me often and say, am I praying the right way? And my answer is, it has nothing to do, the trust can't be in how you're praying. Your confidence has to be in who you're praying to. So when my focus is, am I praying the right way? Am I praying the right number of times? Am I saying the right words? I'm looking at me. This is very subtle, because Satan wants you to look at you. Remember back in the garden we studied last year? The, the very way he got them to fall was to get them to stop looking at God and who he is and begin to look at themselves and who they were. And the moment they took their eyes off of him, they became aware of themselves and they separated from him. And any time you're looking at yourself and how are you doing, am I doing it the right way? Now we'll learn there's okay to check on things. But this is why I'm spending the time to go through it. See, it's not what you do, it's why you're doing it. What your trust is in. That's the bottom line of all this. Just, if you get confused about it, just ask yourself, what am I trusting in? Is my trust in God's promise and God's word? Or is my, if I, is my trust subtly in how I'm doing this? 
And that's what Jesus is talking about. For they believe that they will be heard because of the way they're praying. So their confidence in why God's going to hear them is the way they're approaching Him. And He's saying, don't be like that. All right? Then how are we to be? Now, it's interesting, because with that background, we're going to get into something that most of us use as a vain, repetitious prayer. Therefore, do not be like them. Now, notice this. (laughs) For your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask Him. You see the contrast? He says the Gentiles pray because their confidence is in the number of times they're asking. Their confidence is if they ask Him the right way, if they do it the right way, then He's going to hear. Don't be like them because you ought to know this about Him because you have a covenant with Him. So the beginning of the principles of answered prayer is knowing something about your Heavenly Father. I'm going to say that again, because it's so foundational. The beginning, Jesus is teaching on prayer to His disciples. He's saying the foundation, before you know what to pray, the principles of prayer, before you know anything else, check why you're praying, and then find out what your, what your confidence is in. And here's what your confidence should be in. It should be in something that you know about your Heavenly Father. He's not talking about how to pray. He's not talking about standing, kneeling words. He's not talking about anything we do other than something we need to know about our Heavenly Father. And He's not going to tell us something that the Heavenly Father requires before he answers prayer, he's going to tell us something about his heavenly Father's nature and personality, what he's like, what he cares about, what his attention's on. I'm telling you, you let this sink in and it's revolutionary to the way you approach God. I saw something Sunday, not in the message, but in the preliminaries, and we were away for a couple of days and we were talking about that, whether it was yesterday at lunch or something like that. And I saw some, I, sometimes I see things in here. It's been happening more. I'm telling you, I'm seeing things in scriptures I've never seen before. There's a spiritual sensitivity that I'm developing and it's there for you too. It's there for you too. Because I've been praying for years. Oh, eye has not seen and ear has not heard nor has it entered into the hearts of men. Those that all, for those that love, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. But the Spirit's been given to us to reveal them. I've been praying that for you. I've been praying it for my family. I've been praying it for me almost every day. I've just thought of that. I suppose it shouldn't be amazing that I'm beginning to see things I hadn't seen before. Isn't that funny how it just, you know, and hear things I hadn't heard before and begin to understand things I've never heard, understood before. Scriptures I've read for years. Some of it you see me do up here in the front of you. I'll see things and I get so excited because I'm seeing things. It's like my eyes are getting open to things. And I saw something Sunday down inside and I can almost see it. I can't put it into words yet. 
but a level of reality to how good God is. And towards you, not just he's good in heaven, but how he's leaning towards you. Remember in the beginning we talked about worship and said that we went back into, I think it's Leviticus, when Beverly Rackley was here. And she mentioned a scripture and it went off in me because it shows that, you know, that when we clean our hearts out and we come to him, he's going to lean down towards us. And I said, yeah, he's going to lean down, he's going to kiss us. I mean, he's going he's to bless us. And he's, that's the sense of he's leaning towards us with his goodness. And he's trying to open our eyes on the receiving end so that we can see him leaning down. And this is what Jesus is trying to show them. Don't you know? Don't worry about how you're praying. You need to know this. You need to know this about your heavenly... Because he said, I know him. I know him. I know what he's like. I know what he'll do. I have confidence in him. So much so, Jesus would step out into a situation knowing his Father would take care of it. Do you notice how many times Jesus prayed for a situation and didn't talk to the Father? He just went ahead and spoke for him. You're going to know somebody pretty well to speak for them. There's situations sometimes that are going on around here and I'll make sure I spend time with the staff so that they know what I'm thinking, they know my heart, they know my intentions so that they can speak for me in the situation. I want them to know me and not just what I want, but know my heart about the situation. So if some question comes up and I didn't tell them the thought, they've got my heart on it. Say, well, at least I know his pastor's heart is this. And that's what Jesus had. He knew his father's heart. He knew his father's intentions. He knew his father's desires. He knew his father's wants. He knew his father's character. He knew his father's nature. How did he know all that? He spent time with him. And he's trying to, he was always trying to communicate his disciples. So I said, oh, you have little faith. Because he, he wasn't mad at them. He was saying, don't you know the possibility? Peter, you walked on water. What did the wind and waves have to do with it? You were walking on water. What did the wind and waves have to do with that? Why did you doubt? He didn't just stand and say, oh, Peter, why did you doubt? I mean, there would be passion in that. He cared about this. We mentioned last week, you cannot find an example of where Jesus criticized anybody for asking too much. I find in my Bible, not just with Jesus, I find in the Old Testament where a prophet criticized a king for asking too little. Never for asking too much. Oh, you don't want to ask too much of God. That's religion. That's not God's character. Romans 8.32 says, If he spared not his own son, this is God's word, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also together with him freely give us all things? God's holding nothing back. But religion comes up with reasons to explain and justify the bad results because of their unbelief. Well, I asked God and I didn't get it, therefore it must not have been His will. This is His will. We'll talk about this down the road. 
He's not playing hide and seek with us. He's not hiding things from us. He's not saying, you know, 20 questions, guess what my will is? It's in the book. But we've got to spend time digging in the book and finding out from ourselves and spend, instead of spending time in the other book that we put our face in too much. So Jesus is telling us, oh, this is in me so strong, telling us something about the Father. See, we read over this too quickly. But Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. The most important thing he could teach them was how to pray, how to get answers to prayer. They watched him. They saw him get answers to prayer, amazing things. And they said, Master, teach us to pray. And the man knew how to get answers, so he's teaching them. He said, this is the thing you've got to know. Don't you know? Your father knows the things that you have need of. Listen, before you ask. Woo! Now, if he knows, listen carefully. If he knows what you have need of before you ask, He's not just waiting to hear your request to decide what he wants to do. That means if he knows what you need before you ask, he's been paying attention to you and your needs. So when we get, God, don't you know I'm here and this is a situation? He knew it before you knew it. He's been watching over you. And he says this in a tone that's not just watching over it dispassionately. He's watching over you, wanting you to come and ask him so that he can meet your need. We'll learn later why he has to have us ask. But he's been waiting for you to come and ask him so that he can meet your need because he cares more about meeting your need, listen carefully, than you care about having it met. Because he cares more about you than you do. He was willing to die for you. Are you? Don't you know? He was amazed. Don't you understand? Don't you know about him? It's not how you pray. He knows what you need. Before you ask. Verse 9. So therefore pray this way, in this manner. In this manner doesn't mean technique. It means as I'm in this following way. And, and so, of course, what we've done, as I said earlier is when he told us not to make vain, repetitious prayers, we've turned this into a vain, repetitious prayer. We've even given the name, Our Father, of this vain, repetitious prayer. But he's talking here, and I've read books, and there's true, you know, there's a pattern you can use in here, but I really believe that the key to this isn't so much the details as the confidence and the attitude. Another key thing in what he says in verse 8. Therefore, don't be like them, for your Father knows 
what you need. Notice what he doesn't say there. He said, don't be like the heathen. Don't you know that God knows what you need? He didn't say that, did he? He didn't say, don't you know your creator knows what you need? He didn't say, don't you know your provider knows what you need? Jesus chose his words very purposely and carefully. Notice he didn't say, don't you know your healer knows what you need? Because all of those things would refer to something God can do for us. And that's so often what we come to him for. We come to him for what he can do for us. Somehow, even as a child, God instilled this in me, and I believe it was for now. Somewhere instilled in me was a sense of, yes, it's wonderful God does all these things for him, but there's, we're, if all we do is go after all these things God has for us, we miss the ultimate prize, which is him. When I got saved, it was the way I described it. It was because we got involved with charismatic renewal. Then we got involved with the word of faith and all these things. And it was just I this, almost this image, not a vision, just this image, that I got saved and stepped into this corridor, and there were doors on either side of this corridor. And as we go down the corridor, they'd open this door, and here was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, and we went in that door, and it was wonderful. Went down the corridor a little further, and here was a door we opened, and here was healing. God will heal you, and we found some of that, and that was wonderful. And we went down to the next door, and we found it. God will provide your needs and bless you and take care of you. I found all that, but so many of the Christians stayed in these rooms. But each door took me closer to a door at the end. And I wondered what was behind that door. Because somehow all these doors were intended to draw me to that door. And I discovered behind that door was Him. Was a relationship with Him as my Father. Maybe it's because I didn't have a good relationship. with. I don't know what it is. I just, or something God instilled in me. But that's where my focus has always been. Doesn't mean I've been distracted from it, but I always come back to that. I just want him. I want all the rest of it, but I want him. And Jesus is saying here, don't you know your father? He's telling them that the basis of all of this comes down to the nature of, God as your father. Your father. Your father. Now, we've shared before, for some of us, that's a struggle. But the Bible gives us, tells us what God as a father is like. So I can't use any longer an excuse, well, I didn't really know what a father was like, a good because my father, he did the best he could, but with what he was dealing with, it wasn't what I needed, and I've had to overcome some of those things but I have overcome them to a large extent because I had to let go of that excuse and I had to dig in here and find out what my heavenly father was like. And then I had to begin to relate to him as a father. And that's exactly what I'll do. I'll go to him sometimes, often. I'll say, I need a father right now. I, I, I may need a father's correction or I need a father's counsel or I need a father's encouragement, or sometimes, I don't know what I need, you're my father, you know what I need, but I come to him and put that demand on him and expect him to be a father to me. 
because he said he was. And he's never failed me. Sometimes it's been correction. But he corrected me in a way that was loving that my natural father didn't know how to do. There were things I've just, he never trained me to do. So I've gone to my father. I need you to train me to do some things that I should have learned when I was a lot younger, but I, my father didn't train me in that. So I need you to train me. So I've got to be open. And, you know, he, I may have to go look at some things, but he's faithful to train me. I want to learn to relate to him as a father. But the predominant thing about a father, because one morning I was going over, I was, Father, you've done this for me. You've taught me these things. You've corrected me here. You've been teaching me these things. And I heard so clearly, why do you think I did that? And it startled me. It was that clear. Why do you think I've do those things as a father for you. And it was like I drew a blank. Has it occurred to you I do that for you because I love you? Above everything else, at the foundation of everything, it's because I love you. And that was the hard part for me to compute because I never felt that coming from my natural father. I felt all kinds of things he'd do for me, but I never felt the security of that unconditional love. And that's what Jesus is communicating here. Don't you know, don't you know that the one you're going to come to and make your request known to, don't you know that he's your father and he cares so much about you that he studied your whole life from the beginning of eternity to know what you need right now. That's how involved he is. That's how much he cares. That's how attentive he is. Read Psalm 139 one time. Talks about how far he'll go for you. Talks about how we watched your cells formed in your mother's womb. Not popular today, but it's what the word says. He watched you being formed. He's waited every moment of your life until you finally committed your life to Christ and you gave him that opening I've shared with you my testimony before because I've argued with him fought with him because I was finally what I found he showed me was the reason I was running from him is I was afraid to find out he wasn't real and he had to show me that was the block I still remember standing in our foyer in Belmont, Massachusetts in our house probably one o'clock at night in the morning families abed out their sleep and I finally had wrestled. This is going on for months. And I finally said, I don't know what the mob problem is. I don't know. I'm so frustrated. What's wrong? And I heard inside him, you're afraid to find out I'm real, whether I'm real or not. And when I saw the issue, I realized I'm better off finding out you're not real than living like this anymore. Well, this is how much faith I had. So I said, Jesus, I don't know whether you're real or not. I'm saying this for a reason. But if you are, then I'm asking you to come in. I mean, I'm opening the door that much. There's, there's almost no faith in that. I don't even know if you're out there. I'm kind of afraid you're not. But I can't go on. I've got to find out. So if you are, here's your one shot. Aren't you blessed? And I opened the door. He later showed me this. He said, son, why do you doubt? He said, all you did is you cracked the door. But when you cracked the door, I flooded in. And he did. I'm telling you, I was jumping around that room. I, some 
Joy went through me like I'd never known before. I mean, I threw my three-piece suit vest off. I'm jumping around the room. I'm not acting like a State Street lawyer anymore. Some joy, something happened inside of me, and all I did was open it a crack. Why? Because he'd been waiting for 36 years for that little opening to come so my father could get that entrance, that toehold in, and put it in there, and he's never pulled it back. Don't you know? Don't you know? That one you're going to go talk to and cry out to as if he, I don't know if you're listening, that one is your father. By the way, how did he get to be your father? He sent his only begotten son to this earth to walk in flesh and to take, to go to that cross and to take your sin on his flesh and take all the punishment and the shame, not just the physical pain, the spiritual separation, the shame and all the, 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 the humiliation that was, was, comes with sin. And he took yours and mine on it so he could pay the price in full. Why? So we could get into heaven? Yes, that's part of it. But it was more than that. So he could take, for 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin, yours and mine, so that we might become the righteousness of God. He paid your sin and my sin so that he could take his righteousness that he earned, by the way, and give it to us legally. Why did he do that? Because only someone that's as righteous as God can legally become his son and his daughter. He did all of that ultimately so he could legally come and live inside of you and birth his nature in you and make you to be his child, his son, and his daughter. That's what Jesus is saying here. Don't you know? Don't you know? The God that created the universe, the God that's all-powerful and all-knowing, is your Father. And He's watched over you before creation, even to the point of knowing what you need right now before you even ask Him. Amen. Don't pray the way the Gentiles do. They don't have a Father. God is their Father. So they have to pray based on their selves. But God's accepted you just as you are. You don't have to do anything to be acceptable to Him. You just need to come and ask. But the one you're asking, you need to have confidence as your Father who loves you and can't wait to answer. You just need to come and ask Him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we... Father, we're so short-sighted and so small in our thinking. And really what it is is we're just so full of unbelief. But our hope and confidence is just as Jesus was patient with his disciples 
So you've been patient with us. <laughs> yeah. Because you want us to see this more than you care whether we're doing well or not. So, Father, I pray tonight. It's all our prayer. What the Apostle Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus that you would continue to open the eyes of our understanding, that we'd see the hope of your calling as your sons and your daughters, that your spirit would reveal to us how much you love us, how much you care, how involved in our lives you are, that we might begin to come to you with everything, with the confidence of a child to a father that that child knows loves him without any limitation or condition or restriction. Father, I believe that in most of our cases, this is what holds us back. Holy Spirit, I call upon you to do what you've been sent to do, to reveal to us The word says that what our eyes have not seen and our ears have not heard and what have not entered our hearts, that you've been sent to search the depths of the Father's heart and to reveal this to us. Well, Holy Spirit, if there's anything that's in the depths of the Father's heart, if there's anything he wants revealed to us, it's how much he loves us, each one of us, and accepts us and how much he cares and involved in our lives he is and wants us to let him to be. So Holy Spirit, do, do, do in our lives what you've been sent to do. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name.